Our New Testament lesson is found in Romans chapter 8. We are reading verses 18 through 30. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, as we come to Your Word this morning, we are overwhelmed with the sheer size and magnitude of Your grace that is revealed here. God, we ask that You would help us in the midst of our sufferings, in the midst of our own hardships, that we gain a sight of Your great work, the largesse that belongs to Your grace. Be at work in us and speak, for Your servants are listening. Amen. It is undoubtedly one of my favorite novels. You have heard me quote to it, quote from it uh, before. Indulge me one more time. There is one quote that I have been eager to use for some time, just because it brings uh, the picture of our own lives into sh such sharp relief. And this is what a good novelist does for us. It often explains through story, and then using the narrator will explain something just so crystal clear. The novel is Wallace Stegner's Crossing to Safety. It's a beautifully written story of two couples, and they begin their careers together. The husbands were English professors, and they find themselves in Madison, Wisconsin, and they are there for only roughly a year together. But in the course of that year, they find a lifetime bond, because life takes them in many separate ways across the country, here and there. They vacation together sporadically, but their lives are interwoven and interconnected in deep and meaningful ways. At the close of the book, we find that after many twists and turns, all that these couples have shared together, they've been through joys and sorrows, they've been through heartaches and homecomings, they've been through disappointments, and they've also been through dreams realized. They have experienced all this life together, but now they are gathered as the matriarch of 
one of the families is dying of stomach cancer. She dies as the book ends. I guess I should give you a spoiler alert, sorry. And then the narrator makes this observation. Listen carefully to what he says. If we could have foreseen the future during those good days in Madison where all of this began, we might not have had the nerve to venture into it. In other words, if we had known all the hardship and the sufferings of our lives that was going to happen from Madison forward, we may not have had the courage to live, that it might just have undone us. There was death, there was suffering, there was polio, there was relational heartbreak, everything that normal life contains. Because at the end of the day, Crossing to Safety is a mundane book. It could be a book about your life as well. It is a book simply about common, ordinary life inside of a broken and fallen world. And we hear the Apostle Paul speaking of this same thing as he talks about creation this morning in Romans 8, and he speaks of it groaning and eagerly waiting for its redemption. And he says not only is the creation groaning under its burden, it's being subjected to futility, but we too are groaning inwardly, longing for something better, looking to another day where we'll be free from bondage to decay. And so we join in creation's deep groan because at the end of the day, creation's hardships and sufferings are simply part of our world. We saw in verse 17 that if we are to share in Jesus' inheritance in the future, if we are to be glorified with Him, we also must suffer with Him. So the question becomes, how do we endure these sufferings and hardships that we experience while living in a broken world? How do we endure that dynamic of identifying with Jesus and so sharing in the world's brokenness? How do we live in that? And Paul is at pains to answer that question this morning. And he'll say three things about how we endure those sufferings and hardships. The first, we hope. Verses 18 through 25, Paul says it very plainly in 24. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And what Paul is saying is that we have to set our vision on a distant horizon that in the middle of our sufferings and hardships pulls our perspective from the present up into the future. That Paul is saying the only way that your sufferings and hardships that you encounter in this life, which you will definitely encounter, the only way that that does not undo you in the present is if you have a future trajectory and horizon on which you fix your vision. In verse 18, he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And so that when we do fix our vision and and mindset and heart on the future world, that something transforms and is changed even about difficult present circumstances. And so Paul sees that hope is a powerful antidote to the world in which we presently live and that we can find courage and peace and consolation 
and even patience as we go through all manner of suffering and difficulty. Because Paul has a deep understanding of the world's brokenness. He knows that it is a place subjected to what he calls futility. And then he also uses the term bondage to decay. Listen to his words again. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. It's amazing because he picks up on Psalm 8 here that the creation is groaning under its present bondage to decay as it awaits something. And it is awaiting the glory of the children of God. Many people think it would be awaiting the return of God. But no, rather what Paul argues is that it's awaiting to be properly subjected to human beings. That this is what Psalm 8 is celebrating. That all parts of the creation have been subjected and put under the feet of human beings. But then we have improperly subjected it. And sin has entered into our world. And so the creation is waiting for the day where humanity and the created world are reconciled and all things are right between them. And so it's waiting for that vision of creation renewed and made whole when God redeems the world and makes it right. We have to remember, and we're reminded here very strongly, that God didn't make junk when He created the world. And then when He saves the world, He doesn't junk what He makes. That God is redeeming the creation making it right and new and whole again. That it is groaning and this is not good. That subject to decay, this is not what God intended for us. And that God's great intent is not to save us from the created world, but that God's intent is to save us for creation. Look what he says in verse 23. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And so Paul is casting us forward, not to a vision of heaven on a cloud, but he's pulling us to the horizon when God makes everything new, raises the dead, restores human beings to the created world as it was always intended to be. And Paul says this is the antidote to suffering. It's having a strong vision of what God's purposes for creation actually are. Now the issue is is that we often struggle with this vision. Several years ago, I got to know a young man. He was the brother of someone in my church. But he was interested in taking up a call to ministry. And so a couple of times a year, he would travel from Boston to Washington, D.C., and we would spend time together and talk about how he may be useful inside service of the church. He went back to Boston where he entered into seminary at Gordon-Conwell, and then at 38 years old, he found out that he had a very rare form of cancer. It was in his neck, and that there was about a 5% survival rate. And so at 38 years old, he knew that he was probably facing a death sentence. It was sad over the next year and a half. His health declined. There was one remission, and then it came back aggressively, and he was dead quickly. Young man's life full of promise, full of great skills, passions, and gifts, and it was snuffed out. 
people were heartbroken. He had been part of two church communities, and I attended the funeral with my friend. And as we were sitting there, the two ministers were executing the funeral. One of them was using a traditional liturgy, which proclaimed the resurrection from the dead and the hope of the world to come. And then one of them was preaching. He was, the preacher was a perfectly orthodox guy, but and during the sermon, he said these words. He said, well, we are so thankful now that Jeff has been raised to new life, that he is free from pain, that everything is right. And it took everything in me not to stand up and ask the question, well, why is he still there? His body is right in front of us in a coffin. It's visceral and it's real. It's just there in front of the whole church. How can you say that he's been raised from the dead? That when Paul talks about these things, he's not just talking about some spiritual resurrection, friends. He's talking about the resurrection of this world, of these bodies. That yes, Jeff is with the Lord in heaven, Paul says in Philippians 1. He is free from suffering and pain. But the saints in heaven, according to Revelation 6, they're crying out, how long, O Lord? That they are looking forward to a future trajectory and horizon as well. That they're anticipating something. And friends, when we get this hope wrong, when we get the story wrong, it's not very compelling. The vision of heaven on a cloud doesn't motivate people very much. Singing praise songs to harps for all eternity is not compelling. But being remade according to God's design in a physical world which God inhabits with us is a very different story. And that's the Christian story. That is the one that Paul is presenting to us. That it has the power in the middle of tremendous sufferings and hardships to reorient us and offer us new perspective. That it is a hope that we can hold on to. And Paul says it's in that hope that you were saved. Believing that Jesus, through death and resurrection, has the power to raise you as well. It's in that hope that we're saved. And so we need this story down in the marrow of our bones. It must be driven down deep. That when you encounter hardship and suffering, this is the immediate antidote you turn to. We have to rehearse it. We have to rehearse it in our prayers, in your counsel with one another. We have to rehearse it in our private thoughts. We have to rehearse it in our teaching and in our preaching. That this is the sum and the substance of what it means to be Christian. And so we want, particularly these verses from 18 through 25, to be committed to heart and mind. Drive these home. Because it's in this hope, in the middle of hardship and suffering, that we find salvation and that we find hope not to be undone. The courage to move forward. So this is the first piece about how we endure sufferings and hardships. The second we find in verse 26 is that we acknowledge weakness. Paul says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. That just as hope helps us in the midst of our sufferings and hardships, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Not only does God give us a future vision of something that compels us and lifts our eyes to a new horizon, 
but He also presently comes in the Spirit to encourage us and help us. But it requires that we acknowledge weakness. Now, oftentimes, when we encounter suffering and hardship in life, as a kid growing up a Presbyterian, what I felt like I met was a stiff upper lip. That what you were to say is that God ordered all things for His glory, and so what was happening was good. We're going to come to that, okay? And so we were just supposed to stoically accept it. There was to be no emotion. There was to be no show of weakness. And friends, that's often how we try to meet life's difficulties. I want to say very clearly from the Apostle Paul that that is not the stance he encourages us to take. We will return to a minute of knowing God's goodness and all of His purposes, but what he asks of us is not the stoic, stiff upper lip, but that we rather acknowledge weakness. That we understand our situation that yes, we're in the middle of suffering and hardship and that it's difficult, that we can name that and that we have to cry out to God and recognize that we are in need of strength from the outside. That that is the proper posture. Because it is in the middle of this weakness when we've been set free from sin and death and yet we're still subject to sin and death, we're still around it. When we live in that kind of confusing space, where Paul turns is he turns and says it's difficult to know how to pray. Listen to the rest of the verse. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And in the middle of confusing, complex, difficult, rigorous circumstances, Every saint who's ever entered into those moments knows that it's difficult to know what to pray. As a young man, perhaps with my first real encounter with difficulty and suffering and hardship and just the world's brokenness, I remember going to my mentor and asking him, how do I pray? I don't know what to pray for. And I had always read this passage as more of a theological treatise. I had never really read it pastorally as attempting to work something into my life. And my mentor pointed, it, pointed this out to me. He says, Chuck, perhaps your consolation in the present moment is to recognize that you don't know how to pray. That you need to go before God and you can simply be silent and know that in the middle of your own groanings and bearing up under the pains and brokenness of the world, that there is more going on in prayer than your actual words. That the Spirit is interceding for you. And so yes, I was to present myself to, uh, in prayer before God but that the Spirit was working on my behalf, especially in those deeply distressing moments where words just seemed to fail. Because friends, as Christians, we will enter those moments where words simply don't bring to expression what is going on. And we don't know what to say. And perhaps the most important thing for us to re recognize about our God is He doesn't just leave us in that moment because we don't know what to speak. But rather, the Spirit intercedes on our behalf. God is at work among us, around us, 
over us, against us. That He doesn't abandon you in that moment. And the Spirit is interceding. And He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And so how do you endure sufferings and hardships? We acknowledge our weakness and we trust that God has not left us knowing that He's active working around us. And finally, how we endure these hardships is that we entrust ourselves to God's good and wise purposes. Verse 28, perhaps one of the more better known verses of the Bible. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. This is an essential verse for life. And it's essential to understand it. That Paul is saying that all things work together for good. But he doesn't say that everything is good. Paul is explicitly calling us to trust God in His good and wise purposes that are oftentimes mysterious to us. That we will not have access to but to trust that God is conducting the larger symphony of our lives and He's working it together for good on our behalf. Even the evil, even the corruption, evil, even the injustice in our world that may afflict us, even death, God is working that together for good, that it doesn't override His purposes. My kids were driving down the road the other day with me, and Mackenzie has been studying the planets. And so she knows all the planets going from the sun out to Pluto and that Pluto is a dwarf planet. And poor Pluto is her words for it. And so we were talking about gravitational fields and the conversation got pretty complex because obviously in our solar system, all the planets are held in orbit by the gravitational field created by the sun. That the sun holds everything in its gravitational orbit. But yet, you can be on earth, and earth has its own gravity. That's why we are on the ground right now. It's why the moon orbits the earth. And that these two things are true. That there's gravity here on the earth, and there's also a greater force of gravity in our solar system operating. And there are two frames of reference, and one is greater than the other. And friends, this is how we also must understand the nature of our lives where there is evil operating and yet God's good purposes override it. That God is able to take even evil and use it for good. To quote from Genesis 50. That this greater frame of reference, the gravitational pull of the sun, overcomes and overrides. And friends, this is how we have to understand and interpret life and trusting ourselves to this God. Trusting in the middle of the chaos of whatever goes down in our lives that God is making sense of it and working it according to His purpose for those who He has called. And so people typically ask though, well, why? Why would I trust myself to this secret plan of God that is mysterious to me? that I won't necessarily understand in the present, that I'm not privy to knowledge of. And this is what Paul turns to in verse 29 and 30. 
And his answer is this. He doesn't explain the plan of God, but he says God is for you from beginning to end. God is for you. You can trust him. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And so Paul begins with the word foreknow. And this doesn't mean that God knew something about what you would do. But this reaches all the way back before the foundations of the world that God knew you personally and intimately. He doesn't know what you're going to do. He knows you. That is what Paul is explaining. That prior to the foundations of the world, God foreknew us. And He predestined us. And people are uncomfortable with this word, but yet it's just simply a biblical word. This is not the Presbyterian translation. And so we must deal with the Bible as it comes to us. That because God foreknew us before the, before the foundations of the world, He predestined us. And He predestined us to a certain destiny to be conformed to the image of His Son. That we would be raised in His likeness. And so God has had a good plan for those who call on the name of Jesus that we would be raised in the Son's likeness. That He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And this is what Paul has been expressing in the language of adoption. That we would be fully and finally adopted one day in the redemption of our bodies, conform to Jesus' image. And so foreknown, He has known you. He has predestined you for resurrection. And then in verse 30, He lands it in our present experience. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And once again, this is strong language. It means summoned. And when God speaks in the Bible, it's effective speech. He, he creates by speech. He forms things. He brings things into existence. And so when God calls, it is effectively accomplishing His purposes. That He calls us, summoning us, and makes us His own. Creating us new, making us part of His family through Jesus. And so the called, he then connects that, that the called are justified. That God's purposes in the call are not frustrated. That he makes us right with God. That we receive a right judgment. We're vindicated from our sins and from the accusations that stand against us. We're cleared. This is what God does for us in Jesus. And those whom he justified, he also glorified, Paul concludes. That we have been glorified in the Spirit presently and that we will be glorified when God raises our bodies from the dead. That God will accomplish His good purposes. Your Creator will not forsake His purposes for you, His creation. That He will finish it. That it began in eternity past. A mystery to you and to me. But it is being accomplished and it's being executed in the present as He calls us, as He justifies us, as He glorifies us. And friends, we have tasted these good gifts. We have seen God work in our lives in this way. 
experiencing the benefits of the Spirit interceding for us, experiencing the new life of the Spirit, experiencing the relief of sin's forgiveness. And Paul calls us to then entrust ourselves to this God's good and wise purposes. Purposes that will exceed our own understanding. But knowing that His good plan is executing itself as He takes the world to a final destination, restored, renewed, made right, that's where He's heading. William Cowper, he's an English hymnist. He wrote a tremendous number of poems, but he was also given to depression, severe doubts, uh, bouts with depression. He wrote a hymn that's very difficult to sing. It's called God Works in a Mysterious Way. But in one of the stanzas, he has these tremendous words, Beneath a frowning providence lies a smiling face. And Cowper had absorbed this passage, that life oftentimes seems to be a frowning providence, but it's not that, that when we suffer hardship and when we endure it, we're identifying with Jesus, and God's smiling face is just behind there, not because we suffer, but because he knows the destination, he knows where it's leading and driving, and he's working it together for good, and that our part is to hope. It is to hope against hope. It is to believe and to trust and to hold fast that this God, when He raised Jesus from the dead and brought Him to new life, will certainly bring us and His entire creation to this new life as well. That's what we hold to in faith. That is how we endure. And so raise your eyes from your present circumstances. Look to this God who gives you everything that you need. It's your only resource in this life for dealing with hardship and suffering. Otherwise, you won't have the courage to face it. But in the strength of this gospel, of this grace, you find the strength to endure. Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge our weakness before you. We acknowledge that we live in a world full of sin and death, and yet it's a world that you've redeemed. And you call us to live in between the times as we wait for Jesus' full and final redemption of everything. And so we suffer and we have hardship. We ask that you would help us. Encourage us with the vision of the world that is to come that's so complete and full. That's a place of peace and wholeness, life as it was intended. And Lord, would we know that the Spirit intercedes for us and helps us even today when we don't have words to speak. And would we also take heart that your purposes are never frustrated, that you are at work in our lives and have been even before the foundations of the world and this great mystery of our predestination. And so may we find courage and joy and hopefulness In these truths, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.